Hello, and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Welcome to our eighth lesson in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Last time, we saw Paul's call to unity and maturity. He asked us to live worthy of the calling that we've received and to work together as if we were really one body in which all of the different parts work in harmony with one another. The church of God is those who believe in Jesus Christ, and it's Jesus who unites us as believers because he is Lord over all. Through Christ's death on the cross, we've been reconciled with our Father in heaven, but God wants us to still grow in our faith and in our understanding of him. And if you remember, Paul focused on five particular ministry gifts that God has placed within the church so that all believers can be equipped for service as they walk on with him. Now, as we pick up our text in Ephesians 4.17, Paul begins to contrast what we once were before coming to Christ with the new person we are now that we have been born again spiritually. Because as he says also in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So let's look at Ephesians 4.17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Well, that's quite a lot. But this is Paul's message to us from God. And it is that we should no longer walk as we once did before we came to Christ. When Paul talks of Gentiles in the text, the Greek word there is ethnos, and it really refers to those who do not worship the true and the living God. Once upon a time, we too were far from God, but now we've been brought into God's family because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can't live the way that we once did. Paul goes on to remind his readers of what used to be true of them. And of course, what was true of them also used to be true of us. Before Christ, we had a certain way of life. We used to walk in a certain way. The word for walk there in the v- verse 17 is peripateo, which relates to our daily habit of life. This was the way that we used to live. This was our walk. And we once lived day to day in futility of mind. That Greek word for futility is mateotes, and it refers to something that is without truth, something that's rebellious and immoral. And we once lived that way. We used to think rebellious and immoral thoughts, but that should no longer be how we live. 
Then our understanding had been darkened. In other words, our ability to understand the things of God had been dulled and we were blinded to God's truth. Paul puts it very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, by saying, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You see, it's Satan, the God of this age, the prince of this world, who blinds people to the truth of Christ. Remember what Paul told us in Ephesians 2 2. We once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Previously, as Gentiles, as those far from God, the Ephesians had been blinded to the truth of the Lord. They had been alienated or excluded from the life of God. And of course, the same was true for you and I. Before coming to Christ, we were excluded from the fullness of life that's found in Jesus. And whether we knew it or not, we followed the prince of this world and we were robbed of our inheritance. We were spiritually dead and mocked for destruction. But the good news is, Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 10, though the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Prior to coming to Christ, we were excluded from this life of God because of the ignorance that was within us, because of the blindness of our hearts. Interestingly, the word ignorance there in the text is agnoia, and it means not so much a lack of knowledge, but rather the willful turning away from knowledge. And that phrase, blindness of heart, can also be translated hardness of heart. So because we willfully chose not to listen to God, our hearts became hard. And they stopped functioning really as they should. They became calloused. Now, I have a callus. It's a hard piece of skin that's on my finger. And it was formed because I love to write with a pen. It's that repeated action of writing that causes the hard skin to form and it's just the same with our hearts. The more we choose to turn away from God's truth to sin, the more we repeat that action, the harder our hearts become. And Paul reminds them that in the past, because their hearts were hardened, they became past feeling and they willingly gave themselves over to lust, to all types of filthy actions and to greed. But that was the old life. And those of us who are in Christ need to put off those old habits. Look at what Paul goes on to say in verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. 
So he says here that we have not so learned Christ. In other words, living in that old way was not going to bring us closer to God. It wasn't going to increase our knowledge of Jesus. It's not going to deepen our relationship with him. According to scripture, obedience is the only real proof that we've ever heard Jesus. So as we're told in verse 21, truth is in Jesus, truth is found in Christ alone. And if you've really heard him, then you're going to obey him. You're going to begin to change the way you live with his help. We all, though, have to be willing to put off our former conduct. In verse 22, the phrase put off means to cast it off, to lay it down, to put it away. The way we used to live has to be laid aside. Think of it this way. We have to be willing to change our clothes, putting off the old to put on the new. Christ accepts us just the way that we are, but he does not want us to stay the way that we are. He wants each of us renewed in the spirit of our minds. Living far from God as we did in the past, we've developed certain ways of thinking that have been influenced by the world around us. And sometimes we've believed things that are not true according to the word of God. To renew our minds then, we've got to spend time in the study of God's word as we're doing now. As we pray, God will begin to change our hearts through his word to be more in line with his. But our will is involved with putting off the old man because the decision whether to obey God or not and to do as his word instructs is left up to us. According to Ephesians 4.24, God has recreated us in the true righteousness and holiness of Christ. But we have to choose to put on those new robes. Think of it. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he didn't remain in his contaminated grave clothes. To remain in the filthy wrappings that had covered a dead body would have likely killed him. Lazarus Instead, washed himself and put on new clothes. And in a spiritual sense, we too have been raised to new life in Christ. And we're also called to put off the grave clothes of our old reality. Christ wants us free and he wants us clothed in his righteousness. Paul goes on to tell us how that can be brought about. In verse 25, he starts by saying, Therefore, therefore, because we are these new creations clothed in the righteousness and holiness of Christ, therefore our actions will be different. Let's look at the text. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. As part of God's family, the first thing we're told to leave behind is lying. Why would that be our top priority? Well, if you think of what Jesus said to the Jewish religious leaders who were so far from God in John chapter 8, verse 44, you'll get the answer. He said, 
You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. We aren't to lie because lying is actually Satan's native language. Because we've changed family, because we now follow our new heavenly father, we are to speak the truth in love because truly truth and love are his language. And by the way, the word for neighbor in the text there really means any other person that we're likely to meet. We're not only to have integrity of speech, we are to share the truth of God's word with all people, irrespective of their background, simply because we care about what happens to each of them. Paul then goes on to say in verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. This is interesting to me because, you know, some people give the impression that a Christian can never feel anger. But is that what Paul says here? No. He says we can be angry, but when we are angry, there are two things we must pay special attention to. Firstly, in our anger, we must not sin. In other words, we can't lose sight of God's moral law when we're angry. We can't stray from his path. Now, an example of this is Jesus himself, because he experienced righteous anger on several occasions. Remember when he turned over all the money changers' tables in the temple and drove out those who were selling sacrificial doves and animals? Well, the priests had developed a system of selling pre-approved animals in the temple courts. They would also change money for Jews who were visiting from foreign lands so that they could easily pay their temple taxes in local currency. Now, that may have initially been done as a way to help the worshippers, but the reality was that by Jesus' day, they were doing a huge trade in the temple and they were growing rich off of the prophets. You can find the details of that in Matthew 21 verse 13, but Jesus didn't harm anyone when he did what he did. He just interfered with what they were doing, saying, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus felt anger, and yet he acted in accordance with the will of his Father. Another example is found in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, where it tells us that when Jesus uh, was dealing with the religious leaders, he, and I quote, looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. You see, we can be angry about the things that God is angry about, but it does not give us the justification to commit sin. So firstly, in our anger, we must not sin. And secondly, we are to resolve our anger quickly because Paul tells us that we are not to let the sun go down on our wrath, 
nor give place to the devil. Now, this is certainly a word for those of us who are married. Don't go to bed angry because to do so gives the devil a foothold. As believers, we're called to quickly resolve our differences God's way. And remember that when we speak, we're to speak the truth in love. Paul goes on in verse 28, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So if previously we thought it was perfectly fine to help ourselves to that which was not ours in order to meet our needs, that has to stop now that we're in Christ. But the text here, where Paul says, but rather, it really means to a much greater degree. So to a much greater degree, a person should work hard with his or her own hands, and you see it's for a purpose, so that they might have something to share with others who have needs. Why would Paul specifically say that? Why would he emphasize that they need to share? I think it's because people who suffer greatly can be tempted to take something that's not their own to meet their need. And so we're to help others so that they'll not be tempted to meet their needs by stealing. And in this case, we're to do good to others in need so that the very same patterns that previously affected us can also be broken in them. Additionally, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. This verse in the New International Version is one of my favorite scriptures. It's translated this way. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, I don't think I really have to define what unwholesome talk is. That really applies to anything that is worthless to the hearer, unprofitable, anything that's rotten. That, that's the kind of talk that tears down rather than builds up. But do you notice our speech should be that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs? Now, if you're taking notes, why don't you make a note of the word their needs? in the text. We've got to be careful, you see, because sometimes when we think someone else really needs to hear something, it's more about our own needs rather than theirs. We cannot focus on ourselves, though. What we share needs to be shared with the idea that it will truly benefit those who listen and that it will build them up according to their needs. But the other thing I want to say is building up another person does not just mean you, you get to say to them, good job, because sometimes what they need to hear is not easy to accept. Some of them may even get angry at first until the Holy Spirit works on them, but we have to love them enough to want their very best. Our words should be guided by God said in love and focused on building others up rather than on tearing them down. Everything needs to be done with grace, though, because we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 30. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If we deal with others in a self-focused, self-righteous way, we can grieve the Holy Spirit and we can offend him and cause him great sorrow. Paul specifically reminds us here that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're marked as belonging to God for redemption on that final day of judgment. And we cannot forget that we too needed to be saved from God's wrath. We too were in desperate need of mercy. We too needed redemption. And all of that has been accomplished by God's grace. And so that grace has to affect the way that we speak to others as well. Because we've been bought with a price, we need to be transformed in the way that we live, always bearing in mind that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are his representatives. As such, Paul then goes on to encourage us, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So remember, putting off the old person that we used to be and putting on the new person is going to really require some effort on our part. Like a change of clothes, this doesn't just happen on its own, but it requires our active cooperation and involvement. According to the text, we have to let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from us. We have to allow God to remove these things. We have to allow him to remove bitterness and be willing to let it go. We also have to be willing to let go of wrath. You know that hot, boiling feeling that we sometimes experience. Anger here means a violent outburst of emotion. Clamor is really talking about loud crying. Evil speaking here could be translated slander, which tears another person down. So do you see how this is often a progression to our bad behavior? It starts off with a little bitter root. And if that isn't quickly dealt with and dug up, then soon enough, we feel that hot boiling feeling in our chest. And before you know it, there's a violent explosion of emotion, often accompanied by a fit of crying. And there's this outcry of evil speaking either against the other person or sometimes even against God himself. But Paul goes on to say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but allow these things to be put away from you. Release your grip on them, because if you don't, they're going to lead to malice. And the Greek word is kakia, meaning ill will, a desire to harm someone even physically. So rather, instead of all this, we're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave us. We're to copy Christ in our dealings with one another. And sometimes that's going to mean we have to die to our own desires. We have to be willing to forgive. But let me say that Forgiving someone does not make what they did right. It just sets you free. Left unchecked, 
unforgiveness will torment you. It'll eat away at you like cancer over time. And unfortunately, the person who has injured you often goes unaware of the trouble that they've caused. Either that or they don't really care about the way that you feel or how you were wronged. Now, how do I know that? It's because I've experienced it myself, though I don't often speak of it. I was abused as a child by someone who was very close to our family. I had been a Christian for 10 years before God helped me to understand that that didn't define me, that I wasn't to live as a victim anymore because in him I was able to be a victor. I find it helpful, though, to think of forgiveness in this way. When I forgive someone, it doesn't mean that what they did to me was okay or that it was unimportant to God. What it does, though, is it sets me free of the torture and the pain because as I release them from their debt to me, their debt is transferred to Christ and the wrong they did becomes a matter between him and them. And it's no longer my problem. And I know that I can trust Jesus either to bring them to repentance or judgment. It's also helpful, I think, to remember that forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice of our will. And very often, right feelings only come later. So right actions often precede right feelings. We have to be willing to forgive. We need to forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he has purchased us by his own precious blood. Lord, thank you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve, but rather you have poured out mercy on us instead of wrath. Lord, as we consider those in our own lives who have wronged us, I pray that you would give us the strength to hand them over into your care, to transfer their debt to you, and to truly be able to forgive them. Lord, I know that this can only be done by a choice of our will and that once we choose to obey you and forgive as you have commanded, right feelings will eventually follow those right actions. Lord, I pray that you would take special care of us, that you would help us to walk free from the tormentors and that you would help us to Live lives that truly bring glory to your name, not in our own strength, but rather through the incredible power of the Holy Spirit who is at work within us. Lord, whatever we do, let it not be to our glory. Let it not be to our pride and our elevation, but rather let it be to the glory of Christ's name alone and the extension of his kingdom. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.